0: Hello and welcome to The Game, World Cup Daily from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer and thank you for joining us. We are here every match day of the World Cup, podcasting after 10 o'clock UK time every night. In the studio alongside me, the Times stats guru, Bill Edgar. Today, the mouthwatering prospect of Brazil versus Belgium in the World Cup quarterfinals was confirmed. The Belgians came from 2-0 down to secure a dramatic 3-2 victory over Japan with the last kick of the game. We'll be speaking to Alison Rudd to watch Brazil ease past Mexico in a match where Neymar again made all the headlines. Later on, we'll be getting a Colombian perspective on Tuesday's huge last 16 tie with England as Colombian football expert Simon Edwards joins us. And former goalkeeper David Priest has written for the Times on the prospect of a penalty shootout. We'll be asking what advice he would give to Jordan Pickford. But first, let's get an update from the England camp with Henry Winter in Moscow. And uh, Henry, Fabian Delf has gone home as his wife Natalie is about to give birth very soon. And Gareth Southgate spoke about that for the first time today.
2: Southgate, I thought, handled it very well at the press conference at the Spartak Stadium this afternoon. He just said, listen, you know, there are more important things in life than, uh, than than football, when there were one or two sort of shakes of the head in the room. But I think most people actually agree with him. And uh, I think it's fantastic that Fabian Delph has gone home, you know, touch words, everything goes smoothly. He can come back out here because that will mean, A, the baby's arrived safely and the mother's well. And also that uh, England are still in the competition. But Mm -hmm. Southgate being Southgate did slip in a little joke and said uh, Fabian is so keen to get back out here um, once the baby's born that he's been uh, giving his wife lots of courage to uh, aid the process as... uh, As he described it,
0: <laughs> right. Um, obviously, that was his final press conference ahead of uh, Tuesday's huge game with Colombia. He, as you refer to, was in a jokey mood. How was his mood in general? Then is that still? Is there still that sense of calm in the England camp?
2: There's definitely a sense of calm. He did a separate uh, briefing for for the newspapers, which I was in on. And actually, if anything, he was even more calm in that. Just dealing as he does in. I think once you've been through the sort of the maelstrom of, of missing a penalty for England and can cope with that and can cope with the sort of the, the torrent of abuse he got from fans and one or two critical headlines, I think that, he, you know, he's always felt, well, actually, what what worse can, can uh, be thrown at me? So and he, was, he was very calm. I think the sort of the, the message we seem to be detecting is that look, whatever happens against a very good Colombian side, this path, as they call it, this journey that England on will continue. Touchwood, it continues on into the quarterfinals, semifinals, finals and, and the final. But if it doesn't, if it does end tomorrow night let's not all get sort of carried away, get all emotional, let's sort of have cool sort of, you know, strip England down and disband the FA and start the whole process again. Let's keep developing these younger players, encourage clubs to, to give them more minutes on the pitch just and just build on this togetherness that we've seen so far in this tournament and then go for 2020 and 2022.
0: Uh, well, Southgate also said that Tuesday's game is a chance for players to write their own stories, but also insists the camp isn't looking beyond the Columbia game.
2: Well, no, they're not, and I think that's the way that players operate. I mean, from you know, from the outsiders, as journalists, as fans, you know, we've got the wall charts. We're plotting everything through. Partly fans because they want to book tickets and everything in ahead, so they do. They, they they can dream, but players are far more focused on the individual 90 minutes. I mean, you get really bright individual players like Eric Dyer coming out and talking, and some people were t- tutting that he said, "Well, we're we're effectively taking it each game as it comes." The fact that Eric Dyer can say each game as it comes probably in about four languages, it's it's sort of slightly ignored, and his innate intelligence is ignored. But he is generally focused, not that he's playing, but he, they all generally focus on on the 90 minutes and the task in hand against Colombia.
0: You've written in the Times today, Henry, about the sense of patriotism in the England squad right now, in particular Ashley Young, who was talking about the national anthem.
2: Yeah, he was really good, Ashley Young. I mean, he was, it was quite funny. So he was standing next to, uh, about sort of eight of us went off to talk to uh, Ashley and Gareth sort of backstage. And uh, he was standing there just sort of listening to Gareth Southgate talk about dealing with history and just, you know, how they're going to deal with Colombia. And uh, I, I just sort of looked at him and he had this smile on his face. He, was, he actually was sort of very, very calm. And when I looked down, I just saw his socks. He had just the most extraordinary pair of socks on I've ever seen. They just had sort of fruits and olives and pictures of all sorts on them. So it just says either he's a bit forgetful in his packing and hasn't got his sort of normal um, England wear on or he's just in such a relaxed mood. But yeah, he was talking about the the, the togetherness of the squad um, and, you know, the national anthem and he, I mean, I guess some people might see it as a sort of slight dig at regimes that have gone on in the past. But he said, "No, we really want to sing the national anthem. We all sing it. Everyone's, you know, drape their arms around each other's shoulders." And it's very noticeable. It's not just the eleven out there. If you look at the bench, and I noticed uh, when Delhi Ali was missing one of the games, I think it was the third game, second or third game, he uh, he got everyone together and he made sure all the backroom staff were together with all the, the substitutes. So there is that uh, definite togetherness, and you see it during the anthem.
0: Mm, yeah, Bill, that sense of patriotism, that togetherness continues to win the fans over, doesn't it? It
3: does, yeah. There's a, it's a real uh, feeling uh, of optimism uh, from, from that side of things, coupled with the, uh, the way the drawers panned out. And it, in theory, England have a much easier potential path to the final than they would normally do much 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 easier interesting about the national anthem I I, I went through and timed all the anthems as they've been played at this world cup our one last 40 seconds and Colombia's last 84 seconds <laughs> so, we, so the English players have to stand stand around for twice as long as, for their anthem as they do for ours uh, so I think we should uh, you know stick the second verse on as well to <laughs> yeah. make them uh, listen to it for a bit longer I was
0: going to say the mind game's beginning at the anthems already yeah. <laughs> Um, but, Henry, you point out it's it's a long time since England have won a knockout game. I believe it's, what, Arsenal hadn't even moved into the Emirates yet so long ago.
2: Yeah, that's right, Two, 2006. Uh, actually, I hope they don't play the second verse or the third verse of the... Uh, <laughs> of the uh, of the national anthem because i think it might upset a few people and what i always love with the anthems is you know what mood the fans are in because they normally finish about sort of five six seconds before the official band and the official singer they're so sort of keen to rattle through it no I, I mean it's not been since 2006 it's far too long for a country that you know that created the game that codified it and took it around the world so you know that is embarrassing but i think whether it's whether it's tomorrow or whether it's in tournaments to come, I think this young group, because of the excitement, because of the skill, because of the belief they've got in the manager and each other, that they, they will eventually do that. But this is a huge opportunity tomorrow night, particularly if James Rodriguez you know, has this injury. Whether he's, whether he starts, if he does start, I can't believe he'll be at 100%. And he really does make them tick. But you know, they've got other players in there. You know, Quadrado is a terrific player, and Ashley Young will need to cover back and give Maguire some support if Quadrado starts building up steam.
1: The Game World Cup Daily from The Times with Natalie Sawyer.
0: You can hear live commentary of both of Tuesday's games from the round of 16 on TalkSport. It starts with Sweden taking on Switzerland at 3 o'clock. Then the clash between England and Colombia is live at 7 on TalkSport. And we're joined now by Simon Edwards, a Colombian football expert for World Football Index, a man who's lived in Colombia for the last 10 years. And Simon, we know as England fans, we're looking at this half of the draw and thinking the route to the final is really open right up. They must be thinking the same in Colombia right now, aren't they?
4: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the game against England is a huge opportunity, both in terms of future progression and also, you know, with these World Cups, obviously everyone wants to go as far as possible. But also, I think these tournaments are defined by a big victory over a big name. Uh, And obviously England maybe don't have the best record in recent tournaments, but the Premier League is massive in Colombia and it will be a huge uh, moment for Colombian football, a defining moment for this World Cup, to get a big result against
0: England. Well, much of the pre-match debate obviously surrounds the fitness of James Rodriguez, the golden boot winner from four years ago. Uh, Try to sum up for us his status in Colombia. Is it iconic?
4: Yeah, he's huge. I mean, obviously he had a huge role in the 2014 World Cup, and since then he's been the focal point for so much of what Colombia do. He's been involved in almost half of the goals they've scored since 2014, so he's massively important. He drops very deep to get the ball, he's involved in all areas of the play. Um, But yeah, I mean obviously in Colombia he's hugely popular and important. Sometimes he overdoes, overplays his role a little bit. You know, as such an important player when things aren't going well he can sometimes try to do a little bit too much. But again, I think that's the case of all big players and he's definitely Colombia's biggest player.
0: Mm, Well, Oliver Kay has written in the Times about two Colombian players who perhaps had less than successful careers in England, namely Juan Cuadrado and Radamel Falcao. What's the appraisal of those players in Colombia and and why didn't it work out for them in England, Simon?
4: Well, I think with Falcao, um, I think you can clearly look at the 2014 World Cup and his efforts to get fit. Definitely seemed to hamper him for the the coming years. Um, You know, again, I think as well, Falcao is a very specific type of player. He's incredibly dangerous running towards the ball with a chance in a six-yard box He's one of the best in the world, but he's not a great target man And I think if sometimes you try to expect him to do too much of that And we've seen it for Colombia as well struggling a little bit uh, Receiving the ball with his back to goal or dropping deeper He's very much a traditional number nine very dangerous in the box attacking the ball But maybe doesn't want it so much uh, further from goal and I think maybe he was asked to do a little bit too much and not focusing solely on his, his goal-scoring qualities, which are obviously clear to see. With Cuadrado, I always had a bit of a res- reservation with the Chelsea move, just because as one of the stronger teams, Chelsea often found themselves uh, camped in the opposition half. With Cuadrado, with limited space to run into. He's incredibly good one-on-one. He'll always drop the shoulder and go to the right and beat his man, but he needs space to run into. And I did worry that maybe at Chelsea he wouldn't have the the space to run into. So he definitely does it for Colombia. At times he takes too many risks and can lose the ball, but it's risks that you need to take, and he's the, he's the man to do that for Colombia.
0: Mm. Well, one of the players that's really caught the eye on Russia is Juan Quintero of uh, Porto. Uh, how much of a threat will he be, do you think, to England?
2: Yeah, he's,
4: he's adored in Colombia. I think sometimes Colombian fans can kind of see a bit of themselves, a bit of the Colombian... Uh, nature in Quintero, huge potential, incredible potential, but with a couple of flaws that kind of hold him back and there's a bit of a romantic side to him in that regard. He's not fit. He can't often, he hasn't played 90 minutes until the game against Senegal, surprisingly, this season. Uh, 60 minutes and he comes off or 30 minutes at the end. But in terms of talent, he's incredible. He's equally as talented as James Rodriguez in terms of his passing, his technique, his creativity. So he's a very traditional South American number 10 for all of the good and all of the bad that comes with it, um, he's just a joy to watch. And uh, his Hammers' role in the team this this time around, with injuries, has meant Quintero has had the opportunity to play centrally as the creative focus for Colombia. And, and maybe Hammers will be fit tomorrow, maybe not. But whatever happens, uh, Quintero is definitely going to be a, a key man for Colombia.
0: One area that will give England fans confidence is set pieces. Simon Gareth Southgate's team have been very dangerous in this tournament, but so too have Colombia. Thanks, I suppose, in part to the six foot five Yeri Mina.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
4: And he he moved to Barcelona uh, six months ago, and he struggled a little bit in Barcelona. I think Barcelona expect their centre backs to be playmakers for eighty five minutes of the game, and he's a proper defender um, and incredibly dangerous attacking set pieces as well. He scored five goals in 12 games for Colombia. Incredibly good. And with Quintero's delivery, that will be possibly Colombia's best chance of scoring against England. He's very dangerous. And defensively, a combination of Davinson Sanchez and Jerry Mina is very, very strong, albeit in front of Ospina, who hasn't been as as reliable for Colombia, uh, given his limited minutes at Arsenal. It's a bit of a concern, but I do think in terms of defending set pieces, Mina and Davinson Sanchez are two of the best in the tournament. So that should alleviate some of those concerns.
0: Mm. And what about the manager, Jose Peckerman? He said this match will be a fight to the death, Simon. He took the team, of course, to the quarterfinals four years ago. So how do the Colombian public feel about him?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think with Peckerman, for Colombia, it's important to have a foreign manager because the country is very regionalistic. People, There's some big cities all over the country, four or five big centers and very different cultures and very... Uh, so there's always a feeling that this manager's just picking the mates from his uh, from his part of the country or his city. So it's useful to have a foreign manager and Peckham's taken Colombia to qualification from two consecutive group stages, so he's been very, very impressive in that regard. Between 2014 and today... Colombia have only performed to their potential once and that was probably against Poland. They've really struggled. Lots and lots of changes, lots, some grumbles about Peckerman, but he's done what no other Colombian coach has ever done uh, and he's now we're in the second round. This team's looking starting to look good again. Good result against Poland, impressive performance against Senegal. So he's uh, he's going to retire or he's going to leave Colombia as a as a national hero and a hugely respected figure having achieve something Colombia had struggled to do for 16 years since going back into the 90s
0: and finally when the whistle blows for kickoff on Tuesday night Simon as an Englishman who lives in Colombia how will you be feeling?
4: Well, I mean, I can be positive and say I can't lose. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> I think that's maybe the best way to look at it. I, you know, I know how much this would mean to Colombia, obviously for England as well, but it's very difficult. I've been on a journey with this Colombian side, and you know, I'm just really looking forward to seeing how things, how things pan out. So
1: let's just
0: say I can't lose, and, and let's keep it at that. And you can see that one on ITV.
1: Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at Burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at Burrow.com ACAST. Spring,
5: is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles
0: The thought of the dreaded penalty shootout is bound to have crossed the mind of every England fan ahead of the clash with Colombia. In the game today, you can read an excellent article by the former goalkeeper David Priest on penalty technique at this World Cup. And David joins us now. And David, we saw two shootouts on Sunday, Spain and Denmark, knocked out on penalties. But you noticed a real difference in the approach of David De Gea and Kasper Schmeichel.
6: Yeah, I just think that, um, you know, you look at the, those two, two keepers in particular and all that uh they both ended up on on losing sides, but you'd see this Casper uh, Schmeichel. He's just his whole demeanour. He looked more confident. He looked to dominate um, the, the the process, and uh, and it showed in the, the the results from the penalties that he, you know he ended up saving away. You look at David Hay, and his whole body language was just really passive, and uh, he wasn't really aggressive in his dives. He wasn't really fully committed to the dives, and. Uh, I know there's been a lot of talk about goalkeepers stepping off the lines and uh, you know the not being legal penalties, but there was the the real difference was the the way that they approach the um, the, the penalties and and, and pr- approach the situation. And I think it's penalty shootout is probably the same, if not more, about what goes on about in in the goalkeepers' heads and the, the penalty takers' heads rather than the, the feet and hands.
0: Much has been made of Jordan Pickford's lack of height this week. If in a shootout situation, David, what can he do to gain an advantage over the Colombian penalty taker?
6: Well, I mean, the, the one incident this this tournament already where he faced a penalty, uh, there was a little bit of criticism came his way because although he dived the right way, a lot, a lot of people felt he, he should have saved it simply because he didn't really get a step into, the, um, into his dive. Now, goalkeepers uh, are coached and trained to... to to take a it's what called a power step where they take a, a step diagonally forward and then push off into a dive from that leg um, what happened with him is, is, is it was a negative dive so in that case it's uh, as he goes to push off his right leg just comes inside the line of his regular stance so he doesn't get as much distance on his on his uh, dive so it's yeah it's like I said you, you need to look at the, the goalkeepers the likes of Superfish the, the likes of Schmeichel and see what they do and like I said it may not be legal in some people's eyes, but it's just a natural movement. That's where goalkeepers are coached to to step into dive, so they are naturally going to come forward away from the line.
0: Croatia's Daniel Subasic, in particular, seems to be coming way off his line. And if Pickford does that on Tuesday night, is he likely to be punished?
6: Well, this is the danger now. It's been highlighted uh, in those uh, in that shootout between Denmark and, and Croatia. So it's. Um, it's a case where they're probably going to be looking to clamp down on it. I mean, VAR has played a big part in this tournament so far, yet in a lot of big cases, like the one with Spain, where the um, uh, the incident with Sergio Ramos near the end of the game, they haven't stepped in in all cases. So this might be a case where they they do clamp down, and perhaps it's something he's got to, to look uh, to look at. Other goalkeepers have used different techniques. Like the, the reigning goalkeeper, when he saved Ronaldo's penalty, he actually stepped behind the line so that, as the contact was made with the ball, he's still stepping forward, but he's he's, he's reaching the line as the ball's been hit. Yet he's still getting momentum and coming forward into his dive to to try and cut off the angle of the of the shot.
0: We've seen Harry Kane take two penalties, both against Panama, both blasted into the uh, same corner. Uh, you also write about how creative players take penalties slightly differently.
6: Yes, I mean, it, you know, in Harry's case, I quite like the way that he's approached the, the process of taking a penalty. It's, um, it's almost mechanical, really. He's, he's gone for a spot that's, that's rarely saved. I think, you know, that his penalties, that there's only a 2% chance of goalkeepers saving those penalties. So it's um, you know if he, he puts it in that position, his his technique is really tight. There's no sort of long run up. Uh, he, he keeps all his his sort of legs and arms really tight. So there's really little room for error. When you, you know you look at uh, some like modules like you mentioned. Uh, my theory is with with creative players and, and players who are technically very good and very clever, intelligent players, sometimes just. Hitting the ball powerfully is sort of a bit beneath them. They're, they like to be a little bit more clever than that, and I just feel that, especially in the, you know, it proved in the case of Modric's first penalty that um, tries to open up his body and, and place a shot. And once that happens, uh, it gives you a little bit more chance, a little bit more reaction time because he can't generate as much power with his uh, with his right foot. So uh, it, it's always way I've seen it, and like like I said, it's you know, in the case of likes of Pele against Joe Hart, it was. Uh, It was always a case where he was was going to go for for finesse rather than power. So it's it's, it's just look at players' personalities and characters at the same time.
1: The Game, World Cup Daily, from The Times, with Natalie Sawyer.
0: We'll be giving you a Times trivia teaser question every day on every podcast as provided by Times statistician Bill Edgar, who is sat opposite me. And last time out, we asked you, aside from Wembley and Old Trafford, which is the only stadium used in the Premier League last season, that was also a venue for the 1966 World Cup. Uh, We were going back a while for this one, Bill, so help us out.
3: Okay. the, the, the one other stadium was Goodison Park, Everton's ground. Um... They played in the Premier League last year. Uh, Lots of their fans probably feared it it might be their last one for a while after their terrible start they made, but they they survived. and, And that is the answer, Goodison Park.
0: Aha, there you go. Now, our teaser today is which of England's 11 in the 1966 World Cup final played for England in 1975, the only one of the 11 whose international career extended that late? Tune in to our next podcast to find out the answer. In a week of shocks, there were no surprises in Samara, where Alison Rudd joins us from now. Uh, Brazil beating Mexico by two goals to nil to advance to the last day. It was Neymar with a tap-in from Williams cross six minutes into the second half. And then Neymar's effort was followed in by Roberto Firmino to finish Mexico off with two minutes to go. And Neymar has scored or assisted nine goals in nine World Cup games now, Alison. Do Neymar and Brazil look like the real deal? Yeah, they look
7: really impressive. Um Probably, I don't know, most impressive defensively, perhaps. There was, there was something uh, really solid about them as a unit, and the coach went into great detail about how he, he marks sectors of the pitch, never man marks, and he marks sectors aggressively. Whatever his philosophy is, it's clearly working. Mexico were. I mean, they burned out. They, they gave it everything in that first half. Um, they, were, they were scampering and running. And they were getting some joy as well with their, just their sheer pace and audacity. But well, I think any team that faces Brazil will have to just work out that they, they're very good at scoring late goals. They're very patient. So the key, I think, for anyone that comes next is to, is to just not burn yourselves out and get overexcited, but to try and just, just pace the game better. Themselves, because you know, I think I think of all the teams I've seen so far, Brazil really have learned how to sort of mat, manage a game really well, indeed. And uh, Neymar, you've pointed out his record. Yes, he is. He's definitely. His coach says he isn't it true. He's getting better and better with each game he plays at this World Cup, and you can sort of see that the the trajectory of him just improving so much that he guides the team to the final. But the game was uh, overshadowed a bit by his antics on the um, touchline. Did you did you see those, Natalie? Yes,
0: I mean, what did you make of it? I mean, it's, uh, I don't know if you've seen it on Twitter, but it's led to a lot of uh, memes going round. So, uh, yes, it, it, what did you make of it all,
7: Alison? Well, it was... It's, I mean, it's ludicrous that someone with so much ability... To, uh, maybe he's just so such a star that no one close to him tells him. It doesn't do him or the team any favours for him to overreact in the way he does. There may well have been, and there was some contact. He was off the pitch. The defender wanted to take the ball, Leon, and he he picked the ball up, and his foot touched the bottom of his shin, I think. It doesn't matter how many angles you look at, you might just see contact. There certainly isn't what you'd call a stamp or an an aggressive act. There's no way on earth it could have hurt Neymar as much as he winced and groaned and threw himself around. And afterwards instead of the Mexico coach, could, could have said, and he did say at one point, we, we lost to a team of so much quality and, and I'm very proud that we did as well as we did against them. But he was also able to say I think we really lost because of the time wasting and the silliness of Leymar. Of and he said it was a game for men and there shouldn't be so much theatrics and I do have some sympathy. I don't know that it would have made any difference to the outcome, but you can see how it would frustrate the opposition because there's a a sort of, you get the sense that Neymar's being protected and the narrative is about him and that he's a superstar and he he sort of can be allowed to roll around for, for a few minutes longer than any. And then most human beings would in that situation. It's very peculiar that someone with such ability sort of spoils the write-up afterwards by, by rolling around. And, and Twitter just went berserk with <laughs> yeah. people saying that he was an idiot. I, I just don't know why he does it. Zaymar said people criticized him to put him off. I mean, he doesn't seem to accept that there's an issue at all.
0: No, he doesn't help himself, that's for sure. Uh, we do focus so much on the players with Brazil, but what about, what about the manager, Alison? Uh, Tito's won 20 of his 25 games in charge over the last two years. That's quite incredible.
7: Yeah, well, he took over a team in some crisis and a lacking direction. And from what I've seen of him, he does have that sort of schoolmasterly um aura about him that he actually looks capable of, if he needs to tell off one of his superstars, he can. He sort of has that generational gap, um, that air of authority. Uh, he's, very, he's a very strange speaker. He, he, he sort of flips all over the place and gets quite animated about tactics and secrets. And you, you, sometimes he thinks questions are a trap that we're trying to find out you know, the secret of how Brazil operates. And he'd rather the journalist asking the question came up with the solution to their tactical dimension rather than him give it away. He didn't overpraise Neymar. he doesn't do that sort of that sort of messy trap, if, if you can call it that, way, where it all revolves around one player. He's really blessed, I think, and, and, and you get that sense from him as well that he knows he's blessed with wonderful players and sees it that way, rather than seeing it as a weight of, of expectation back home. And one interesting thing he said um, at the press conference tonight was that being told that his team played more like a club side than a national side was a huge compliment. I don't think he was sure it was delivered as a compliment, but he decided it was a huge compliment and he used that comment to motivate his players and make them feel prize. And he's got a point, I think. because. International players have their players for so little time that if someone does look at Brazil and think, "Gosh, they're playing like a club team," they're just really close. They and they are, aren't they? they Their movement off each other. They know where they're all going to be. They have, they do have that that sense that they've been together perhaps longer than they actually have been in training. And that might be actually rather than the individuality of Neymar's skill, that might be the reason they win the World Cup because they've they've sussed how to play as a, a fluid unit before anyone else has got into the
0: swing of it. What a night it was in Rostov where Belgium fought back against Japan to secure their place in the last eight. Belgium were 2-0 down with 20 minutes to go and that Roberta Martinez was surely staring at the sack, Bill.
3: Yes, I think so. I mean, uh, it looked... Uh, Quite grim for for Belgium. Japan were Japan's style of, of play. They were they were closing Belgium down, uh, not giving him too much space. It was it was really proving quite effective. And this this was Belgium's first stumbling block. They have sailed through qualification, as we mentioned yesterday, with most goals in uh, European qualification, and then another nine goals in the group stages. Then up against Japan, they were really hitting a stumbling block. So got to just beyond the hour, two nil down. And um, Martinez changed it. He kept the the three centre-backs, but he put uh, Chadley on for Carrasco left wing-back. And Chadley uh, did very well. And then also, I thought perhaps more importantly, he brought on Felaini for Mertens, uh, which is quite different, obviously very different players. But Fellaini, he's, he's, he has a reputation for only really being a battering ram and Good in the air but for one whose uh, elbows fly around a lot he's actually a very calm player so you play the ball up to him the, the ball will stick and he'll play the simple pass off and he did that a couple of times it really uh, gave uh, Belgium a platform I thought.
0: It was Belgium then who were smiling at the end but heartbreak for Japan being 2-0 up and then to lose 3-2.
3: Yeah they really must have thought they were into the quarter-finals and a tie against Brazil. Yeah. Uh, and they they did uh fantastically uh two great finishes and they were you, you know the, it it didn't look uh you almost didn't see it coming given what happened in the group states so They only edged past colombia with a an man advantage for pretty much the whole game and then uh, drew with senegal lost to poland so but as we, we mentioned before uh, they made lots of changes for that last group game and uh, well yeah, maybe you could say that uh, it was justified in, in that they, they were fresh and they, uh, today they brought all the main players back and, and for, for an hour it looked uh, very good for them.
0: If England get past Colombia, they will face, Bill, either Sweden or Switzerland in the quarterfinals. And they face each other on Tuesday afternoon in St. Petersburg. Now, looking at the FIFA rankings, Sweden come into this game as the underdogs. They're 24th in the world, but scoring three goals against Mexico in their final group game, which earned them top spot, will give them some confidence coming into this one, won't it?
3: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that looks fairly, yeah, despite the rankings it looks a fairly evenly matched game this one both solid in the the group stages sweden had a obviously a great result against mexico and then they beat south korea and they only lost at the right at the end against germany but equally um switzerland uh, got the draw against brazil and they came through um fairly comfortably so they've got a, a good world cup pedigree yeah, the last time uh, the World Cup was in Europe in 2006 in Germany. They were, they were unbeaten. They, they were unbeaten in their group and then they only went out on penalties uh, against Ukraine in the last 16. They, they've got a habit of uh, sticking at it at the World Cup. Durability. So uh, yeah, I guess you wouldn't be surprised if it went to extra time at least.
0: Well, it will be a moment of history for the winning nation as neither have been to the quarterfinals of the World Cup for some time. 24 years for Sweden and it's even longer for Switzerland. 64 years. And that game, by the way, is live for you on the BBC on Tuesday afternoon. That is it for now. Many thanks to my guests today, Bill Edgar, Simon Edwards, David Priest, Alison Rudd and Henry Winter. Subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or Tablet for just a pound a week for your first eight weeks. Search The Times Digital for more information. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast supplier. And we'll be back tomorrow to find out whether England have made it to the quarterfinals of the World Cup.
3: The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.